Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Uh, And thank you guys for getting here on time. Wow, check it out. How many of you, be honest, were going to come to the 830? Raise your hand. (laughs) Yeah, a couple of you. All right. Hey, nice. We missed you. Uh, But you should be awake, right? This should be the awake crowd, or some of you are still maybe a little bit a little bit sluggish. My name's Colby. I'm the pastor here, and we're starting a brand new series called Running With Giants, but before I talk about that and really get into what I believe God has for us today, let me remind you uh, that we are in week two of Crash Course, which is a four-week journey. Now, those of you that are new to Elevate Church, uh, you might not have attended Crash Course yet, or maybe you've been coming for a while and you need to take another step in what it looks like to partner and be a part of Elevate Church, this is a great week to jump in on. Uh, it happens right after the 1130 service. We will feed you. We'll feed your little ones. We'll, we'll watch them. Week two of Crash Course is called Make This House a Home. And it's all about the way that we grow in Christ. We cover the five Gs like growing in, in grace and generosity and in groups. And so you need to come and check it out if you haven't already. Uh, again, it's a four-week journey. You can jump in any time and crash course, except we say the last week, week four, but this is a great week. If you haven't checked it out, I would encourage you to do that. If you have your Bible, open it up to Genesis chapter 41. That's where we're going to be. Now, let me give you our theme verse, though, for this series. It's found in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says this. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. What does that mean? Whenever you see a therefore in scripture, you're supposed to ask, what is that therefore? Therefore, and it's referring back to chapter 11. And chapter 11 covers all these great men and women of faith. In fact, it starts just listing them off one by one. It starts with Abel and goes to Enoch and then Abraham and then Sarah. And then gets down to Moses' parents. And Moses is talking about all these great men and women of the faith that have gone before. So that's what that therefore is therefore, and it just lists them one by one. It says, since they are watching us, we're surrounded by them, um, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Here is the premise of this series, is that what if one of those men, one of those women, those giants of the faith, came out of that crowd of witnesses and met you in your race, what would they say to you? If you were running a race around this, this journey of life and, and you needed some advice, you needed some, uh, some inspiration perhaps, what would one of those giants come and say to you? What could we learn from their life of faith? And so we're gonna pull out over the next three weeks some of these giants, these men and women of faith. And today, we're gonna start with Joseph. We're gonna pull Joseph into our, our race, and I believe this is gonna help us all. I believe this is going to encourage us as we run our race, because how many of you know that your race doesn't always look the way that you thought? Does anybody know that? Like, like how many of you know that the dream that you have in your heart does not always go according to plan? That sometimes you, you hit a roadblock, that sometimes things aren't working and clicking the way that you thought you would. Sometimes you're not winning the race that, that, that you thought you would. It was about three years ago that the Atkins got uh, a couple small soccer goals because I like to play soccer out in the front yard with my boys. We like to play some footy, all right? So we're out there playing some soccer, 
And um, early on, when we first got the goals, the margin of me winning was huge. Like huge. Like I would whoop them. Because I'm not that dad, by the way, that says, hey, you should let them win. It'll build their self-esteem. I'm like, no, let them lose. It'll build character. You know what I'm saying? Let them lose. And so I would whoop them. I would score like messy on them. Like I would, I would take them to town, and they would walk off the field crying and in shame and broken and all that kind of stuff because that's what I'm about. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what I've noticed in the last couple of years? The margin of me winning has gotten a lot smaller. Like they're getting good. Like just to be honest, they're, they're getting good. And I'm getting older. That's not helping. And so I'm, I'm losing a step here or there. In fact, I just joined a, an indoor soccer league for the elderly. Started a couple weeks ago. I'm the only elderly on it. But uh, my son was, was playing and just kind of warming up with me. And we were just kicking the ball and, and just kind of getting ready and just running. And what I noticed is he can almost like beat me. Like in a race. Like he can't. Watch it. He can't yet. But the day is coming. And so I had this thought, like, that's going to be a problem for me. When my son is able to, to beat me in a race, that's not going to go well because, after all, my goal and my plan is to always win. Like, I'm going to win. I win, 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 no matter what. Are you with me? Like, I'm just going to, to win. And part of my, my winning strategy is talking trash to him. And I'm like, hey, I dominate you. I dominate you in soccer. I dominate you in every area of life. You know, I want to plant those seeds deep into his soul to remind him that his dad can whoop him. But what I noticed is that, man, he's getting fast, and I'm getting, I'm getting slower. And so what happens when he beats me? Like, what happens when the day comes that, that my plan doesn't go according to plan, and he begins to win? Or what happens in life when things don't go according to your plan? Because, right, if we were all honest, every single one of us in this room, we plan to win in life, do we not? But what happens when you don't win? What happens when your plan and your race that you're running doesn't quite turn out the way that you, you thought? That's going to be a problem. Because we all plan to win, but what happens when you don't? I don't think any of us enter into anything in life planning to fail. Like you don't start a career saying that, man, I hope that you know, in 15 years this is all gonna fall apart and I won't have a job anymore. You don't go into a marriage, you know, saying, hey, you know, I hope that I'm going to spend all this money on a wedding and get married only to eight years later, you know, have it be a nasty divorce where we're, you know, using the kids as leverage, you know, battling back and forth. Nobody plans for that, right? By the way, if you plan for that, we have a prayer team up here after the service. You need to come talk to them, please, today. Like, we don't plan for that. All we do, we plan to win. Like, we plan to win in life. We plan to win in our career. We plan to win in school, get into the school that we want to get to. We plan to win in our finances, in our money, right? We plan to, to be able to retire one day and be able to provide, you know, for our needs. We plan to win. But what about when life, you know, doesn't happen the way you thought it would happen? What about when it doesn't go according to plan? And you go through problems and you go through painful moments. Now listen, I'm not trying to preach us today into a funeral. I'm just trying to prepare you for the fact that things don't go according to plan. In fact, God gave us some advance warning, by the way. He said that in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to have, have problems. So he let us know, hey, it's not always going to look like how you want it to look. It's not always going to go according to the plan that you, you, you have in your, in your heart. So what happens in those moments? Do you have a plan 
for the problem, I guess is the question. You have a plan for the the troubled times in your your life. We plan to win. We plan to have the favor and the blessing of God in our life. But what about when there is a problem? Hey, what about when the career doesn't go according to plan? What about when the marriage doesn't go according to plan and things are on the rocks? What about when you don't get into the school that you thought you would get into? What about when your kids are are going far from, from God? Do you have a plan for the problems? In fact, that's the title of this message if you want to jot it down, calling it a plan for the problems, because if you lived any amount of life, and if you would go ahead and remove your your church face today, you would be able to testify to the fact that, hey, this life has some struggle. Does anybody know that this life has some struggle? Yeah, it does. So like, we know that, but do you have a plan for when those struggles come? Do you have a plan for those, those problems? Or what about when what you're wanting to happen doesn't happen when you want it to? Like, what about when it doesn't happen according to your timeline? What, what happens, do you have a plan for when the dream that you have in your heart gets delayed? Or when the vision that God has given you for your life gets sidelined, you know, gets put on, on hold? What happens then that I thought I would be married by now? That could be somebody in the room that, that I thought I would be in the right job by now or that, that I thought I'd be graduated and out of school. Where are my five-year seniors at in this room? Come on, that's, that's, that was me on track. Like, what happens when it doesn't happen according to your timeline? Because if all we do is plan to win, 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 no matter what, then what happens when you don't? You get knocked down, you get knocked back. And I think today Joseph is going to be able to help us. Turn to your neighbor right now and tell him, I need a plan. Look him in the eye say, I need a plan. Now look at your second option of neighbors and say, I'm going to get a plan. Help me out, Joe, Joe. Genesis chapter 41, here we go, verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you. You will be in charge of my court, and all the people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of everything, the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger, essentially saying, hey, whatever you say and communicate and write out, it's it's basically like I'm saying it. Like that's how, how much authority your word is going to have. He dressed him in fine linen clothing, hung a gold chain around his neck with a clock on it, looking all like Flava Flav up in there. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt, everything. Now, this text that we just read does not quite fit the setup to this message, does it? Because we find Joseph, and he's winning. Like he is, he has a place of, of power. He has a position of preeminence. Here he is in the palace where he will want and need nothing in his life. So we might be tempted to think that what does this have to do with a problem? What does this have to do with planning for problems in my life? But if you don't understand the context to this, then you'll be tempted to think that that's all there is to Joseph's life. But can I tell you something? Context is king. It doesn't matter what, what, you know, what you want text to say or what you want scripture to say, the only thing that really matters is the context of what's being said. Context trumps everything. In other words, you gotta get the whole picture of what's going on. The whole, the whole view, you have to read a, a few verses before and a few verses after, or you have to read even a chapter before or a chapter after to get the whole picture 
of what's happening in his life. By the way, we do this with people. Like we tend to see people and think that, oh, well, God's doing it for them. God's blessing them. It seems like every prayer they pray is getting answered. He doesn't do that for me. I would submit to you that you don't know their context because there is always a backstory. There is always a, a, a sidebar that's happened in their life to get them to where they are. Anybody that I've met that have done, has done anything great or significant for God, like they went through some struggle. They went through a trial in their life to get them there. And you should just know that, by the way. If you want to do anything great for God, you want to fulfill the calling he has for your life, like there is going to be trouble. There comes a high cost with your, your calling that God has put on you. So you just know that. But, if, but we'll tend to think, see something like this, and say, well, it's just going to happen for me. It's just going to be easy. Like I, I'm just going to be able to fulfill easily what God has put on my heart if we don't know the context to what's going on. So let me give you the context to Joseph's life, his story. I'll give you the, the Cliff Notes version. Cliff was my favorite author in college. Uh, I don't even know if he's a real guy, by the way, but I used him a lot. So here's the, the quick kind of version of this. Joseph was born into a family with a lot of brothers, had a lot of siblings. He had 11 brothers, one full-blood brother and 10 half-brothers. And Joseph was the favorite, by the way. And everybody knew it because the father was terrible at hiding the fact that he was the favorite, uh, which, you know, today we hide it pretty well. People ask us, you know, who's your favorite child? We're like, oh, we love them all the same. Stop it. You're lying. Come on, parents. It depends on the day, right, Who, which one is the favorite in the house. Today for me, it's gray. He's three years old. He does not eat me out of house and home like the other three boys that we have. So he's my favorite today. I'm just telling the truth. Um, but he, Joseph was the, clearly the favorite. In fact, his father, Jacob, gave him a coat of many colors. Maybe you've heard that before. If you saw the production, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, that's what it's all about. So he was the clear front runner. He was the golden child, and his brothers knew it and hated him for it. And one day, Joseph has a dream. And in his dream, uh, there are all these bundles of grain gathered. And all of a sudden, his bundle of grain, like, rises up. And then all these other bundles, his brother's bundles of grain, bow down to him. Like come around and they bow down to his bundle of grain. And so he tells his brothers, this is my dream, that my bundle of grain rose up and your bundles bowed down to me. And, and obviously they had a problem with that dream. They're like, what are you saying? That you're going to be our king? That we're going to bow down to you one day? Like that's not going to happen. And then he has another dream as if he didn't learn his lesson. And the second dream that, that God gave him, this vision in his, in his heart, uh, was that there was the sun and the moon and 11 stars all bowing down to him. And so now he tells his whole family. And his dad's like, hold up. You mean even me and your mom? You know, we're all going to bow down to you. And Joseph was like, this is simply the dream that God has given me. I'm just telling you what God showed me in my, my dream. And so the Bible says that his brothers hated him all the more. They hated him already, but then they hated him all the more. And one day his brothers are out watching the livestock uh, kind of far away, and Joseph's dad sends him to go check on his brothers. And as they see Joseph coming from a long way off, the Bible says that they plotted to kill him. They said, here comes that dreamer. Let's go ahead and take him out. We're tired of his dreams. We're tired of you know, him being the golden child. Let's kill him. But they had another brother named Reuben that said, all right, let's not do that. Like, let's just throw him into a pit. Let's throw him into this empty cistern that's out here, you know, and his hope was that he would come back and rescue him, actually pull him out of that pit because he knew how much it would hurt the father if they had lost his son. 
But his other brothers saw it differently, and so they went behind his back, and while he was in the pit and Reuben was gone, they sold Joseph to a group of gypsies, some Midianite traders that were passing by. So real quick, this is a far cry from the palace that we read, first of all, isn't it? Like, this looks a lot different than this place of power, this place of of preeminence, this position that he has. Here he is now in a pit. I would like to submit to you that the pit represents a place of submission. Everybody say submission. I had you say that is because we don't like that word. Like, we, we push back and resist that word in our culture. We don't like the word submit because when somebody says submit, you know, we think that, that it means that we have to just, you know, we're a doormat to someone else. We, we think that I'm a self-made man or I'm a self-made made woman, that I got myself, myself here. So we push back hard against the word submission. But here's what I would propose, that if you are going to have a plan for the problem, Joseph would come out of that crowd of witnesses. He would get all up in your race. And here's what he'd tell you. Write this down. We have to learn to submit our will to God's will. That's like the first thing that you have to do is you have to be willing to submit. Now the word submit, submission, simply like literally means I'm gonna come under your mission. Uh, God, I'm gonna come under the mission that you have for my life, the dream, the destiny, the will that you have for my life. I'm gonna come under it. You could say yield. I'm gonna yield to the mission that you have for my life. How many of you know It's easy to submit to God when submission leads to immediate blessing. That's easy, isn't it? What about when it leads to a pit? Are you still able to submit when that submission takes you through a pit season in your life? Because the pit can stir up all kinds of questions in you, can it not? Like, did I really hear from God? Is this really the direction God has for my life? Is this really where he's taking me? Did I really have this this dream? Did it come from God after all? Like, like where, where people were bowing down to me, this certainly does not look like bowing down. Here I am stuck in a pit in this moment. Is God even, even good? Like the pit can, can cause fear, can cause rejection. Like God, is this supposed to happen this way? I wonder if you've ever been there, been in that place where you're like, this is not going according to plan. This is not what I, I thought it was gonna look like. Here I am in a pit. Joseph found him in a pit, and I would propose to you that it's in the pit that he learned to submit to God. That's in the moment, in that season of the pit where he learned God is sovereign. Like God, God is the authority in my life. That is not man. Man has no control over my, my life. Only God is my, my authority. God can promote me to positions. Man cannot do that. It's in the pit that he learned to submit to the authority of God. He had to learn that. He had to go through that season where of rejection and maybe that I'm not trying to impress anybody so that when he got in front of Pharaoh, right, he, he wasn't like, I just want to impress Pharaoh. He knew he only could impress God, that he had to learn that in the season. Can I tell you something? The pit season will teach you some things in your life. It will teach you how to submit to God. And the Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. We like it when those steps of a good man order us to blessing We like it when they order us to favor, but what about when they order us to a pit? Are you okay with that? Which, by the way, if the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, Jesus was the greatest man who ever walked the earth. Where did his steps take him? To a cross, to a Calvary experience. Are you okay if the steps that God orders you take you to a pit? 
take you to your own Calvary kind of experience, which thank God, right, on the other side of, of Calvary was an empty tomb. Thank God on the other side of that was grace and mercy and salvation for us all in Jesus. But are you okay if the steps God orders you to are to a pit. And I know this isn't happy preaching. Uh, you know, I get it that, you know, this is, this is not that encouraging. Like, you're going to have a pit season in your life. I hope by the end of this thing to encourage you. I hope by the end of this thing that you'll leave here ready to fight hell with a water pistol in your hand. But I, I just need to prepare you for the fact that there will be a pit season in your life. And we need to learn to submit to what God wants us to do, submit to his will, because here's the bottom line. Either God is sovereign or he's not. Now, we don't like that, and we don't like to say it this way because it doesn't sound churchy, it doesn't sound, sound Christian, but when I don't submit to God, here's what essentially I'm saying. God, I choose Colby over you. I, I know that the Bible says your ways are higher than my ways, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, but I trust my ways over your ways. That's what we're saying. When we choose not to submit to God, I choose my, my thoughts. I choose my, my feelings over yours. And I think a lot of the troubles we get ourselves into in life is because we never learn to submit fully to the will of God. Like, yes, you're gonna have troubles still, right? That's what God told us in advance. We're going to have troubles, but I don't know about you. I will take trouble all day long with the covering of the one who has overcome the world than going at it on my own. Anybody else? Like, give me the trouble knowing that I'm in God's will, not by, my, by myself. So the Bible tells us that Joseph was sold to some gypsies. So by the way, Joseph, he's gonna need a lot of therapy. Like, he's rejected by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit. Now he's getting sold to some gypsies. Like, talk about anxiety. He's gonna need a fidget spinner. He's gonna need a weighted blanket. A therapy dog, like this guy's in some trouble. <laughs> He's sold by gypsies to a guy named Potiphar. And God's word says that in Potiphar's house, he once again rose to a place of prominence and position. Potiphar recognized that anything Joseph did, God's hand was on his life. So he had favor in everything that he did. So Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household. And something you should know about Potiphar is he was like, high a ranking official in Pharaoh's army. So he was a big guy. He was a bad man on his own. But while Joseph was serving faithfully in Potiphar's house, some stuff goes down with Potiphar's wife. She all kinds of crazy. And uh, she pursues him like day after day, relentlessly, like, you know, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. Day after day, the Bible says Joseph resists temptation, except for one day, she gets her hands on him. And she grabs him by his cloak and says, this is it. She's fed up. You know, you're coming to bed with me. And as he flees, she rips off his cloak, right? He leaves it behind. And so she sees an opportunity to cry out rape and get this guy out of here. So that's what she does. And Potiphar comes back and Potiphar believes his wife. And so Potiphar now throws Joseph into a prison. So here's Joseph doing the right thing and the wrong thing happens to him trying to live for God, trying to be faithful to God, and the wrong thing happens. Do you know it's possible for you to do the right thing, be right in the will of God, and still struggle, and still have trouble, and still face, face trials in your life? Joseph can't catch a break from the, from the pit, right, to, to Potiphar's, and now he's in prison, and even when he probably felt like he was winning a little bit in Potiphar's house, like, man, at least I'm in charge of stuff. I know I'm not the owner of this. 
but at least I'm in charge. I have some responsibility. I don't want for, for anything, right? He feels like he's winning for once, and now he's back in prison. He's back in an undesirable position. Second thing Joseph would tell us in our race, remain faithful to what's in front of you. No matter what, remain faithful to the thing that God has in front of you. First, we learn to submit our will to God's will, right? If we're going to have a plan for the problems, if we're going to have a, a blueprint for the moments that life throws at us, we need to submit, but we also need to remain faithful to what it is that we do have right in front of us. Joseph didn't own the house that he was serving in. He didn't get anything from, from that house, but he served it as though he owned it. He was faithful to it, no matter what, in that moment. Could it be that God wants to see if you will be faithful to this thing that you have in this season before he gives you what you want in the next season? Like He wants you to remain faithful, and Joseph was faithful to where he was. And some of us aren't. We'll say things like, well, I don't like the job that I have. All right. Well, this is the job that you got, right? If you, you will never get the job that you want until you learn to be faithful with the job that you have. Are you with me? Like, it, it might not be where you want to end up. It might not be, you know, your ultimate plan for your life. But you get up and work every day and you say, I'm going to be the first one there. I'm going to be the last one to leave. I'm going to work with integrity and character and not cut corners. I'm going to be faithful to what I have. Are you hearing me? You stay faithful to what you have. Just because you don't like your boss doesn't give you an excuse not to bring your best every single day. Like you be, be faithful to what's in front of you. God's word tells us that everything that you work at, you are to work at it as if you are working for God, not for men. So you're not working for man anyway, right? Like you're working for God. So why on earth would you not bring your best if you understood you were working for God? Well, my marriage isn't all that I, I thought it would be. All right. Stay faithful in it till it is. Work at it. Be faithful in it. Well, my, you know, I, I, I thought my finances would be different right, right now. All right, well, stay faithful. Faithful in, in giving. Faithful in, in bringing God your, your tithe. Faithful in saving. And God will bring you to that place where the finances are where you want them to be. Are you with me? You got to remain faithful to what's in front of you. Yeah, but Colby, I don't know my purpose for my, my life, I, I don't know, you know, my, my place where, where I should, should be. Listen, some of you can't find your purpose. You can't find your, your place and what God wants for you to do because you keep bouncing around from here to there to there. Or you keep going from, from this church to that church to that church. God's like, I can't even keep up with you. To find your, your purpose, to find your, your place. Psalm 92.13 says this, when you are planted, someone say planted. You got to get planted when you're planted in the house of the Lord, you will what? You'll flourish. How do you expect to flourish if you're not planted? Like you need to get planted. You need to grow roots in order to, to, to flourish in life. And I'm not saying it has to be here, by the way. There are a lot of great churches. I happen to think this is an amazing church with some amazing people, with some amazing ministries, some amazing music, come on, some average preaching. So like I, I think this is a good one. But you got to get planted somewhere so you can grow, so you can become all that God wants you to become. Can I tell you something? You're never going to get what's next until you're faithful with what's right now, with what you have in your hands now. Stick it out when you don't feel like it. When it's good, when it's bad, stick it out. 
Like when, when, when things are going well, stick it out. When it's not going well, stick it out. Become somebody that's dependable. Become somebody that's, that's faithful. Become somebody people can trust and depend on and rely on. Like stay faithful to what's in front of you. But some of us, what happens is we disengage. When we find ourselves in those seasons where we can't quite understand what God is doing. Joseph, man, he could have disengaged. And I wouldn't have blamed him, right? I don't think any of us would have. Like, here's a guy that was, was rejected by his own family. He was, he was sold into slavery. He was, he was thrown in a prison. I don't think any of us in this room would have blamed him for, for crawling into the fetal position, sucking his thumb, right, and, and being coming disengaged, but not Joseph. Joseph said, I'm going to put my whole heart into this thing. I'm going to be faithful to what's in front of me. And because he was faithful, God elevated him in Potiphar's house. Right, because he, he stayed faithful to who he was, which, by the way, he did not allow circumstances to dictate his faithfulness. He said, faithfulness is just who I am. doesn't matter what I'm going through. He said, integrity in Potiphar's house, that's just who I am. I don't have integrity when it benefits me. I'm integrity. I bring integrity all day, every day. It's who I am. Are you with me? Like, honesty... Like, I don't, I'm not honest when it works in my favor. Honesty is just who I am. So he stayed true. He didn't allow his circumstance to reshape him at his core. He said, this is just who I am. My faithfulness is not dependent upon my circumstance. Like, don't let your, your, your favorable circumstance, you know, determine whether you're going to stay faithful or not. You be faithful no matter what. But I'll see people go through a difficult time and start to disengage. And I'll never understand this. But one of the first things people pull away from is the church. You notice that? When they go through a tough season, when they go through a problem in life, they begin to pull away from, from the one place, by the way, that you should be leaning into. You're pulling away from? Like, really? The, the one place where you can be prayed for and you can have people come around you and, and put their arms around you and lock arms with you and walk through hell with you, you'll pull away from? And I'm just telling you because I've been doing this long enough to know that typically people will say something like, well, God didn't do it for me. God didn't, didn't show up for me when I, I thought he would. Well, did you put yourself in a position for God to show up for you? Like a lot of times we're complaining that God didn't do something, right? But, but we didn't put ourselves in a position to receive it from him. In fact, sometimes we'll over-spiritualize this and people will say something like, um, well, I'm just waiting on God. You ever heard that? Well, God's not, I'm just, I'm just going to wait on God. We sit on our hands and wait on God. Can I tell you something? Waiting is not passive. Waiting is active. In fact, according to God's word, waiting is super active. What does the Bible say? That those who wait on the Lord will mount up on wings like what? Like eagles. An eagle's not a passive bird. You've seen an eagle before? Like it's soaring around, right? It's looking every, like its head's on a swivel, is looking for things all over the place. It's not passive. You've seen it dive down into the river, grabbing a fish with its talons and, and pulling it up. There's nothing passive about it. Like, we just need to redefine what, what we think waiting looks like. Some of us, you, you're waiting, and I think the reason why you are stuck is because you stopped. You're like, I'm just going to wait on God. And I think what some of us would call waiting, God calls lazy. Let's just be honest. God says those who wait on the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. Eagles go after stuff. I mean, eagles get to work. So we got to get to work, get stuff 
done. I'm just, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting on God. Kobe, I don't like to be patient, right? I, I don't like to wait. All right, well, God didn't ask you if you liked it. He didn't ask you that. In fact, I think we forget God does not do Instagram polls. God does purpose. Are you with me? God does, I have good plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. That's what God does. He doesn't ask you in the moment, you know, whether you like to wait or not. And he does purpose. And Joseph finds himself staying faithful, even when he's wrongly accused in prison, even though he's doing the right thing, but wouldn't you know it, the same hand that was on, God in the, on, on Joseph in the pit and on Joseph in Potiphar's house is the same hand that was on him in the prison. And he ends up running the prison, and he rises to a, a position of power even in the prison. And through a series of events, again, I'm going to give you the edited version, he has, he's asked to have an audience with Pharaoh. And the reason he's asked to, to be in front of Pharaoh is because Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody could interpret his dream. And this is what I love about God's word, by the way. The, the, the same, the very thing that set these events in motion, a dream, is now going to be the same thing that pulls Joseph out of it. Are you with me? Like, isn't that amazing? Can I tell you that that thing that you see in your life as, as painful, as a frustration, God will use that to elevate you and help you reach your full potential. That dream that was such a burden for him early on, He's now using a dream to get him out. And so Pharaoh has this dream, and somebody that was in prison formerly says, hey, I know this guy, Joseph, and he can interpret that dream for you. And so he, he calls for Joseph. He brings him up. They, they clean him up. They shave him. They put new clothes on him. They get him all ready to stand before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him his dream, and immediately Joseph interprets it. And here's what Joseph says. Your dream means that for the next seven years, we're going to have a lot of prosperity. There's going to be a, a great harvest, but that's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And if you don't prepare during the time that you are prospering, then you are going to struggle in the years that there is a famine. And so now that brings us back full circle to what we read in the text where Pharaoh says, there is no man like this man that has the spirit of God on him. No man is wise and as intelligent as you, I'm gonna put you in charge of the whole thing, Joseph. Like there's not gonna be anybody, like only I am gonna have more authority than you. Joseph essentially becomes the prime minister of all of Egypt. Here's what this represents. The last thing I want you to write down is service. That Joseph would tell us that we are to serve others along this way. I think we forgot sometimes that the dream God put in our heart, that's not just for you. That's for the benefit of something greater and something bigger than just you, that we are to, to serve others. Think about this, 15 years since that dream that he had as a teenager when he was 17 years old, the Bible says it's been 15 years. Now he's in his early 30s. His dream still hasn't come to pass, but now he's going to be used to fulfill someone else's dream while he's waiting for his dream. Let me ask you this, are you able to serve someone else's vision while you're waiting for your own vision and dream to come to pass? Joseph would say, hey, we need to serve others along the way. The Bible says, you know, if you, uh, what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. Can, you. can you bless other people while you're waiting for your blessing? Can you help other people heal 
while you are yourself waiting to be healed from some hurt or some pain in your life? Uh, uh, can, you, can you help bandage other people's wounds while you yourself are waiting for your own wounds to be bandaged? Joseph is interpreting another man's dream, but he still has one in his heart that hasn't been fulfilled yet. But because Joseph was willing to serve someone else's dream along the way, wouldn't you know it, seven years of prosperity happened, followed by seven years of famine, and because Joseph was in the position that he was, they prepared for it, and then all of Egypt had food during those years of famine. Can I tell you something, that dream that God has given you, one of the ways it becomes fulfilled is if you go ahead and position yourself serving someone else along the way. And understand that it's not about you. Because guess what happened? Come on, Ben, help me out with this. I'm going to bring this thing to a close. Here's what happened. One day, guess who gets hungry? His brothers. His brothers get hungry, and his dad says, hey, I hear that there is a guy who is in Egypt right now that has prepared for this famine that's, that's already with, with grain, and you guys can go and get grain. And so he sends his sons right, out to, to see Joseph, and they come to stand before Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph, and Joseph does not let on that it's him in that moment. In fact, the Bible tells us that he is so choked up seeing his brothers that he has to run out of the room weeping because of the emotions and because of, of what was laying so heavy on him in that moment. And so he, 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 he gets his brothers there. And he's like, is this all of you? Do you have any more family? And they're like, well, we have another brother. Uh, he's our, our youngest brother. Joseph says, well, go get him. By the way, the youngest brother wasn't there. You know why? Because the last time the youngest brother went with the brother someplace, he didn't come back. And so the father was not you know, willing to sacrifice this this younger son, it was Benjamin. And Benjamin, by the way, was a full-blooded brother of Joseph. So they go back and they bring Benjamin. And here's what happens. He gets them all together and he says, I am your brother. And in that moment, you know what they do? They bow down to him. They bow down. Do you remember the dream where the, the bundles of grain were bowing down? Now they, not, they aren't bowing as grain to him, but they are bowing for grain. See how God's word works? The very thing that they were bowing down as, now they are bowing for, for grain, for, for food. And in that moment, Joseph's dream that he had in his heart was fulfilled. So this is why I need to say the problem that you're facing, the thing that's in front of you, is not pulling you away from God's dream. It's actually pushing you towards the dream God has for your life. Are you with me? It's actually pushing you towards your purpose, towards your destiny. Follow this. If he had not been in the prison, he never would have interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And he never would have been in the prison had he not been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And he would have not been falsely accused had he not been sold into slavery to some gypsies. And he never would have been sold to some gypsies had his brothers not pushed him into the pit. Here's what you need to know. That push into the pit was not taking Joseph away from his dream. It was pushing him towards the dream that God has for his life. Come on, somebody. That thing in your life that you feel is pulling you away from what God has for you is not pulling you away. It's pushing you towards all he has for your life. I love that. And then when Pharaoh was looking for someone to interpret his dream, you know who he found? A struggler. He found someone who had been through some stuff, 
who had gone through some struggles in his life. Someone who, who was pushed into a pit but stayed faithful through it all. Someone who was pushed into a pit and learned to submit to God and wouldn't be impressed with Pharaoh because God was his authority. That's who he was looking for, a struggler. And I submit to you today that anytime God wants to do something great in the world, he's looking for a struggler. He's looking for somebody who's been through some stuff. Someone who will walk through a fire and just keep walking anyway. Someone who will keep submitting anyway. Someone who will keep the faith anyway. Come on, stand up to your feet. I wonder if we have any strugglers in the house today. Come on, someone that would say, God, no matter what, I'm going to keep submitting. No matter what I face, I'm going to keep the faith. Uh, no matter what uh, my situation is, God, you're positioning me for that dream. Thank you for pushing me. Come on, thank you for pushing me into that pit because God's going to use that very thing in my life to get me to where he wants me to be. Come on, lift your voices. Let's sing together. Even when I don't see it, God is working. Come on, Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.